We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sometimes Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined, as ever, by Simon Howell. Simon, you have internet again. I do. I did last week also, but it's... Not it's in time. better. It's better this week. And yes, on time. So hooray! Yay! And there was much rejoicing throughout the land. If the land is my my house. Excelsior! <laughs> we have a nice uh, nice podcast coming up ahead. The DVD shelf is back. Yes, yes. It, well, sort of. It, it's not exactly a DVD shelf, but it's a segment. It counts as a DVD shelf. The show's off the air. Yeah, that's true. Although the specific season we just talked about isn't on the shelf yet. Yeah, we talked about Fringe with uh, Noel Murray from the AV Club, which was pretty exciting. Yeah, it's good stuff. We spent about, it's you know, it's like a 40-minute chat, about half of it, season five, and the finale, and the rest of it on the entire series. So hopefully you guys will enjoy that. That'll be at the end of the show. Yeah, not not really enough time, if no. you ask me, but, but, you know, we also know that listeners only have so much time. And we could probably talk about all of these shows for way too long, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's good to have a limit on there. We have got a bunch of feedback from you guys. First of all, from, on the site, we got a comment from Ricky, who says that either you are on crack, or you haven't seen many westerns, or you're just wrong if you don't consider Firefly a western. So I thought that was hilarious. Wait a minute, when did I say Firefly wasn't a western? Uh, last week. You, you said it wasn't a straight-up western. I don't remember saying that. Oh, very convenient, sir. I don't. I don't remember this. I. I'm just assuming the record is incorrect, because <laughs> it, it can't be me. <laughs> We also heard from Keith, who was having issues subscribing to the podcast feed last week on his iPod Touch, so please let us know if you are having trouble as well. Keith, let us know if that's still an issue for you or if it started working. Um, we have not been able to figure that out, so please let us know. We talked uh, some alphas with Keith and Mario. Of course, alphas just got canceled. Um, Blackadder, too. Uh, Bob, it was... I got a fun tweet from Bob. Thank you. Then Fringe. Lots of Fringe with uh, Ken, Rick, Shannon, Dana, Stephanie, Steve, and Keith. Uh, the whole Jonathan Colton and Glee thing. Fiasco, as far as I'm concerned, at least. Can, can, I, can I just say, yes, sure, fiasco, but to take Devil's Advocate position for a moment, novelty rap covers by non-rap artists, can we stop doing it ever? Yes. Yes, I'm with you there. As as much of a fan of Jonathan Colton as I am, actually, that's I've seen one other non like classical like show ever, and I went so I've got to see Jonathan Colton a couple times up here in Chicago and had a great time. But as far as like going to see music live, that's about it. I very much so I very much enjoy Jonathan Colton, but I don't really care for that particular song. But that doesn't change the fact that Glee is a total dick for right. blatantly stealing his music. No, no, I, I totally, side-by-side -side comparison, Glee totally ripped him off. Yeah, there's no question. 100%. It's like ridiculous. Yeah. They literally sync up to the second. It's ridiculous. Anyway, so yeah. that I talked about that a little bit with Josh and Blaine. Uh, 
the Vampire Diaries with Keith, the following, which we will get to later in the show with Ken and yes. Mario. Westerns with Keith, Josh, Adam, Mike, Justine, Downton with Les, and Bill. Just heard from Bill actually today, who is catching up with our Walking Dead podcast, which he's enjoying, even though he you, apparently disagrees with us all the time. So that's Excellent. awesome. That's wonderful. But apparently, labor can go as quickly as it does for Laurie and the Walking Dead, and apparently he's uh, delivered many you know, babies where the labor has been that quick, especially in um, non-ideal situations. So apparently that's a legit thing that happens. So I got to give him credit for Fair enough. Although I think knowing... we can all agree, I think we can all agree it happens disproportionately in film and television compared to life. Which is exactly what I said to Phil. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. No, I mind. But it was, it was, uh, it was, it was nice to get a little uh, professional expertise on that, on that note. So thank you very much, Phil. Uh, but to go back to the Westerns, I've spent the past weekend pretty much catching, uh, rewatching really a bunch of, you know, the, the great Westerns for some articles that I'm going to be putting up this next week. One on scoring in Westerns and orchestration and you know the kind of music that gets used and then another on Rio Bravo and High Noon or I should say High Noon and Rio Bravo since High Noon came first because of course Rio Bravo was a direct response to High Noon and both the the take on masculinity and also the the subtext about McCarthyism and blacklisting that's in in High Noon so I'm gonna do a piece examining that I think because I am watching I love Rio Bravo but I was watching it with that context this time and it was it just made me sad because i didn't it made me not like rio bravo as much so uh, i I need to work it out so i'm gonna write an article excellent so that that should be coming there's plenty more up at sound on site on on westerns there are new reviews going up you know and new uh articles and stuff going up almost every day for westerns and of course you guys have you you guys have uh uh a couple different uh podcasts coming up with westerns too uh, yeah, well, we, we have to sort that out. The the, the big four hundredth episode is coming up. That's uh, fifty sorted and three hundred and fifty sound on sites. Man, um, yeah, that's <laughs> congrats though. Bleeding out. yeah, and I'm on about three hundred and seventy five of them. So yes, it's 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 been a long haul. It's going to be a really really long show because of the way we're doing it, but it it should be fun. It it it'll be a good warts and all smorgasbord. <laughs> The last thing I want to mention before we go into our, our week in TV here is uh, due to some feedback I've been getting, I've been considering changing around the format of of the televerse and putting the spotlight at first and then the DVD shelf and then our week in TV at the end. So that way, if you are looking for specifically the shows that we're highlighting that week, they, they'll they come up faster. But I want to hear from people what they think about that because I'm worried about the spoiler issue because if you don't listen to the M4A feed, you can't fast you know you can't easily skip through chapters and so i want to know if people would rather we keep are we can tv up at the front so because of course we try to avoid spoilers in that and then we go we dive deep in the other two segments so please let us know what you think what do you think simon uh i, I it could work i mean uh, you know i don't listen to podcasts so i don't know how to structure <laughs> things i just record them and then sometimes mix them <laughs> I, I don't know how these things work i've only done you know 500 of them or so <laughs> So yeah, let, if you have an opinion one way or the other, please let us know. Of course, uh, you can always uh, reach us on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. You are at Sucker Howl, and you can always email us the, the Televerse at gmail dot com. We'll have more contact information at the end of the show. But let's get into our week in TV because this was a good one. It was, especially for comedy. I thought lots of great comedy this week. We're going to start off with 
the Tuesday comedy. So for that's going to be Ben and Kate, Girl Problems, New Girl, A Father's Love, Mindy Project, Bunk Bed, Happy Endings, The X Factor, and Cougar Town, I Need to Know. So which of these did you get the chance to see? I saw Happy Endings and New Girl. And you know what? It's funny. I saw some very enthusiastic praise for this episode of Happy Endings, but it was actually probably my least favorite comedy of the week. I really didn't like that plot line about uh, you know the, the the lesbian ex and and uh, and sort of the jealousy around it and the d- dynamics going back and I don't know I thought I found that whole thing really rote and predictable and kind of cliched is that, was that just me I was okay with that I enjoyed the that you know of course being it was it's somewhat predictable but it, I still enjoyed the fact that the triggers for the two were uh, love for Brad and and sex for for Jane. So I enjoyed that that dichotomy. Um but uh yeah, I think I think the the stronger happy endings episode this past week was actually one that we didn't cover last week on the podcast but we but we would have uh in general, which was the uh, kickball to the kickening, which was which was an episode that originally aired actually last year up by you and only aired this past Sunday by us. So uh, it, that was, I think, a more successful of the the two happy endings. But uh, I would actually of these episodes, I think Ben and Kate and uh, Cougar Town were actually the the strongest. We had, of course, on New Girl, we had the uh, sort of luck situation going on. Yeah, because we had Dennis Farina and a racetrack. Yeah, and you know, horses, buying horses, and all of that, and scheming. So yeah, was, yeah, it was very it was fun. I, I was I was ho- kind of hoping someone would at least try to drop a luck reference, but you know. Chances are nobody on the show ever lost luck at all because nobody lost luck. Uh, I think you should catch up with the Ben and Kate though because not only was it a, a really fun episode, I loved the the background with BJ and you know you, we find out that she has a dog and she's always had a dog and nobody else <laughs> knows that she's had a dog. Um, and we also find out that she's actually really smart and knowledgeable about like marketing and stuff. But uh, you know she's like I have layers, guys. I have a life outside of you. Um, yeah. Like I just always <laughs> assume she was dumb, like really dumb. And so there's a lot of really fun BJ stuff. And then of course we had talked about uh, last week with Parenthood that you were somewhat uh, uh, frustrated that uh, the dad Adam took such a uh, gender specific. Tack on on having the the sex talk with his son, and then right. I so on Ben and Kate when uh, when Maddie asks, uh, "Do you have is this your girlfriend?" Because there's some line that makes it happen. Kate says, "No, but girls can have girlfriends," and so I thought you would appreciate that you know that very much. Well, there you go. Absolutely, um, Mindy Project bunk bed I thought was very sweet. There's a lot of Anna Camp in this episode, and that's always a good thing. Um, not to mention the, <laughs> the, I think they're doing they're handling the Mindy and Danny, will they won't they element really well in that they're not really you know it's there. There's clearly chemistry with the two characters, and it's something that they're they're definitely doing. But it it feels natural. And it feels realistic for these two characters, and so I think they're handling that well. And then Cougar Town, lots of stuff with uh, with with Jules and Travis that was really great. Lots of stuff about being a clingy parent, which I know is a recurring theme for them, but it was handled very well here. And 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 the way that they handle uh, Krista Miller's character training Andy like a dog to do stuff that she wants, like pick up his socks. Um, you know, it starts out and you think it's going to be just it's another example of her being terrible, but the, actually the way they handle it and the way they explain it towards the end of the episode is really thoughtful and, and great. So I very much enjoyed Cougar Town this week. So a good Tuesday comedy. 
Excellent. Yeah. Next up is Parenthood, One Step Forward, Two Steps Back. And what did you think of this episode? Most of the episodes that haven't centered as much on the cancer storyline have have been our least favorite of the season. And I know that the the Victor and uh, Erica Christensen storyline has been probably your least favorite of the season. What did you think of this episode? Did it still work? Uh, well, I think the main problem is that it was very centric around the love triangle between Jason Vitter and Ray Romano and Lauren Graham. And yeah, that aspect is not working for me, if only because, man, they've really just, they, they went from making Jason Ritter's character uninteresting to actively making him a dick. And since <laughs> yeah. it seems like he's the character who's more likely to stick around based on casting, this feels like it's going the wrong direction. Well, and also, I you know, I don't know if we want to get into what's on the, the next week on, but basically the thing I've been saying why hasn't this happened yet with Ray Romano's character and in regards to his daughter is happening next week. So he's basically leaving the show. It seems like she's not leaving the show. So therefore we kind of know what decision she's going to make. And I don't know. At first I was watching that final scene where basically she wants him to stay and talk. And he's like, no, cause you need to, this is all on you. Um, at first, I was I was starting at the beginning of the scene. I was on her side. I was like, "Come on, man, just talk, stay, and have a conversation. Don't just leave." But I think I'm 100 percent totally actually. Right. He's totally right by the you know and just because the way and it's it's wonderful bit of performance too. But you know, he's like, "No, no, 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 no," because I know what I want. He knows what he wants. You have to decide what you want, and it's it really is as simple as that at this point. Um, so hopefully. I won't be pounding my head against the wall during the finale next week. But man, like when Jason Ritter came up and he was like, I'm being the classy guy by confronting you outside of your by business. By being waiting... dick. <laughs> Apparently I've been waiting out here all night. I'm being the classy guy by telling you what's happened. Like, really? Yeah. You're being classy right now? Because you really, yeah, you're not being, yeah. Because as, as paranoid as you are and you think that there was this whole like scheme to try to steal her away in, in stages, that's. That's not what was happening. It just makes you look even more like a child. Yeah. So I'm. I'm. If they're not going to keep Ray Romano around, I really hope they don't keep Jason Ritter around either. Yeah. Now, what did you think? Maybe just explode that situation. <laughs> what about Victor? I thought the Victor stuff was was decent. Um, I, I I do feel like they kind of glossed over. Like they never really seemed to consider seriously the idea that maybe the adoption isn't a good thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe her instincts were correct. They seem to just they seem to just plow ahead with, oh well, no, you just need to stick with it. And <laughs> everyone basically went with that. And by the end, she kind of went with it. Like eh. I kind of feel like they avoided a, a, a thornier and more interesting path with that. I do think that probably you know the the husband is right that it will be fine in in the situation. But I kept waiting for her to confront him about, you know what, you're not the one who every time you try to do any sort of parenting, he says, you're not my, he never says, you're not my dad. He says, you're not my mom. And every time it's like a stab to the heart. So don't yeah. tell me that I'm, I, I'm, I'm just crazy for feeling this way because you're not the one being constantly rejected. Yeah. The, the, the highlight of that, of that whole plot line was obviously the scene with, with Crosby where, where he ended up actually being like, genuinely useful in this sort of context for once well and and the best person for her to talk to and sometimes situations like you you need to hear even if it's the same thing from a different source and i think that you know i think that was also very very accurate and it goes back to what you had said earlier in the season about how 
elements of the storyline have felt somewhat contrived because normally she would have this huge support system of her family that she could talk to and that would, you know, make things a lot easier, except that they all have a lot of stuff going on right now, so she can't. So having, you know, having that element to it, I think, was, you know, really made sense and she just needed to talk to her brother and and it was fine. Yeah. Uh, but even though, yeah, I, I have some issues about the direction that went. And yeah, and and the folding in uh, Matt Loria again, I thought was fairly organic. I like that he it started off with with Zeke and not with uh, Mae Whitman's character. Um, so that that that's nice. I hope I I hope they don't overplay it. But you know, I, yeah, I, I always like having Matt Loria around. Well, and so next week is the finale, so it'll be uh, it'll oh, be is inter- it? yeah, oh. already. Yep. Next week is the finale, so we'll see what happens and how this all plays out. But I'm now has Parenthood been officially renewed yet? Does that happen? I don't think so, but I feel like it does okay. Yeah, I feel like it's in a better position, if only because maybe the network's in a worse position. Yeah. Oh, NBC. And all the critical buzz I think has really been helping for for this year. I think it's constantly getting written about and and raved yeah. about by critics and that i think is helping yeah more so than than before and Kadem's has good luck with stuff getting renewed so, so I, I feel good fingers crossed um next up is justified where's waldo and as justified! you can see sorry what? <laughs> but it, clearly this is not in the spotlight for us this week we still enjoyed the episode at least i did i think i got it from your review i got the sense you did too but justified can do more and do better. And so we're going to hold off on the spotlight till later in the season. What did you think of uh, this episode? Uh, I, I liked it quite a bit. I, I'm a little bit concerned that I still like, it seems like the pieces of the season are coming together really slowly because there's so like, maybe even more so than with last season. There's just so many moving parts and I'm just, it's, it's such, uh, there are so many characters like, Holy crap. There are so many characters in different relationships and different circles that are, you know, all moving at once. And it's a lot to even just mentally keep track of, especially if they want to start folding in Tim and Rachel a little bit more, because that's a whole other dynamic. I found it a little bit confusing, admittedly, when Art started going on about the personal lives of Tim and Rachel. And I was like, it took me a minute to even remember who he was talking about, especially Rachel, (laughs) when he starts talking about her divorce. I was like, really? Well, that's new. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, are we supposed to know that? No, we're not supposed to know that. So (laughs) anyway, apparently she gets more to do soon, but... I would love if if they I, I feel like if they folded them in organically because they are great characters from what we've seen, um, then the show could be even better. And I, I think what's really encouraging is the fact that we're meeting so many new characters and there's so many new interactions going on and nobody is boring or annoying. So they're far. all pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, some of them may not pan out to be, you know, they can't all be Boyd. They can't all <laughs> be uh, they, they can't all be Ava. But so far, no one has hit a, a sour note. Well, and even just our very first couple scenes with the the, the preacher and Boyd were pretty fantastic. So yes. I, that can only go more in the way of awesome, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. And the, the the whole sequence with the Truth family, headed up by Beth Grant, I thought oh, was so wonderful. Good. <laughs> Love her so much. Slightly different than Muffin Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the whole thing was was like it was like a Tracy Letts play, kind of. If anyone knows who he is. Uh, except, you know, a little bit less depressing, I guess. Um, uh, and yeah, especially I just love that kid and his double middle finger and the dead <laughs> guinea pig and uh, so many nice little details in that sequence. Oh, justified. Now with uh, this season, they said lots of like, about three episode arcs, sort of, or is it more standalones? And then, you know, like multiple smaller arcs, right? So 
Do you think that means that we're going to see the conclusion of this church stuff in the next couple episodes? Or do you think that's going to be more of a recurring element? I don't know. I mean, it seems like there are some elements they could stretch out for a whole season. Some they could spend less time on. I, I feel like if they they may end up doing like sort of cascading small and long arcs here and there mm -hmm. in one episode things. I mean, I'm not sure there's another show that's better at, at pulling off all of those ideas. Uh, and why not do them all at once, you know, because they're good at this. So, hey, <laughs> yeah, they know what they're doing. All right. Totally. On Wednesday, we have Top Chef Seattle and Restaurant Wars and uh, perhaps the most controversial elimination ever. So controversial, in fact, that even Tom Colicchio disagreed with it. In the end. <laughs> so go figure. Way to go, guys. You run a tight ship. Uh, yeah. So, yes, Kristen went home. It is Kristen and not Kirsten, right? It's Kristen. Um, yes. Uh, yes, Kristen went home and uh, clearly did not deserve to. And, and admittedly, you can blame her somewhat for being a little bit too nice. To they fall. gave her the opportunity to, to send Josie home, basically. And even and so it's hard to know how much of that is editing. But even when she, you know, at, at the end, you could see when they send them away, especially Gail, who was on the send Josie home bandwagon. You could see they're like, come on, yeah, tell us what her, happened. It's not her job to determine who goes home. It's their job. Well, yeah, but they only have the information in front of them. They don't know anything that happened ahead of time. All they uh, know they watch, is do they, the, they don't watch the dailies. No, they don't. They know nothing of what's happening. They don't edit it. They have, they're not involved at all. So the only thing they know is what they see when they walk into the restaurant. Right. Fair enough. And I, I was disappointed that Stefan wasn't in the conversation either because they were so offended. Like what yeah. they actually said that the that the service was worse than the booyah base. Well, and also in the because, of course, in when you reference uh, Tom not agreeing with the decision, that's, of course, information from the blogs at the website. Uh, and Tom says now having seen the other footage, if they had known everything, they definitely would have sent Josie home. But of course, they didn't. No, that stuff is actually quite satisfying to read his response. Like, I know everybody's going to be really upset with us, and I completely understand. Please don't hate us forever. So in his blog, one of the things that both Tom and then also Gail mentioned was that the actual the service was actually worse than it came across on TV. Like, there were more <laughs> things that they had scripted. Like, the, the waiters didn't know what kind of wine they were serving. They, you know, like, they, they had, the, there was like a half hour wait between each course. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Yikes. So when you have, you know, a four course meal, a dinner like that, and you know, actually it was five course and there's a half hour wait between each meal. I mean, come on. That's that is know. a French meal right there. <laughs> but uh, Kristen did win last chance kitchen. So she is still in the running. And I know uh, I'm sure that, you know, some fans will be far more likely to tune in because she got eliminated. But um... yeah, I'm, I'm annoyed that Last Chance Kitchen is region locked because I really would have liked to have seen that. And I'm so I'm really excited about the eventual obvious Chris or hopefully eventual Kristen versus Josie face off because that is going to be a slaughtering. Oh, it was hilarious watching Last Chance Kitchen because normally I don't watch it. And last year you could watch it on demand. Uh, like like the next week or something, you could watch it on demand, and you can't do that this year, and so you have to watch it at their website, and their website is terrible. Their video player is terrible. I do not recommend watching Last Chance Kitchen. Uh, but what was really funny was because of course CJ had won six in a row un until he got knocked off by by Kristen, and when she comes in, you could see he's like, "Oh fuck." <laughs> I did. I figured I was gonna be going up against Kristen when I made it back in for the finale. <laughs> he, he he basically said I. Was expecting Josie to be here at this point. Um, 
okay, well, you know, bring it on. <laughs> it was it was pretty great. Uh, well, well, anyway, yes, I, I I wish there was some way I could watch it, but I can't. So thank you, countries. <laughs> on uh, Wednesday, we also have American Horror Story and Continuum. That's also ending next week, I believe. Uh, what uh, did you yeah. think of this penultimate episode? We're into the like bizarre epilogue stretch, I guess. And I don't know how I feel about it because, uh, you know, we spend so much time out of the asylum as I figured we would last week. And they kind of, they they open with this intriguing setup with, um, Kit. Why do you know that? And I don't, uh, with, with Kit, you know, basically having two wives and two daughters and that, that's kind of interesting. And then they end up completely getting rid of that midway through the episode. So, all right. (laughs) I could have gone for a little more of that, but whatever. Um, I'm not sure if I liked where that went. Uh, I did like the Sarah Paulson stuff. Uh, I thought those were well. The, the every, I, I'm not usually a huge Sarah Paulson fan to be honest, but I, I think she's she's been quite good this season. Uh yeah. I don't know if I'm all that excited about the bloody face. You know, the bloody face 2.0 finale. Uh, I, the whole breastfeeding thing this week was a little bit much, also. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm excited for the end of the season. And I don't know if I'm if I'm excited for next season, considering Ryan Murphy's already said, oh, yeah, we're going to do another period thing, but I want it to be funnier. <laughs> God damn it. No, it's not what we need. Uh, good p- period. Good. Yes. Funny. No, you're not. You're not going to be good at funny in this situation. Please don't try to do that. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm tentatively excited for craziness in the finale, but I kind of feel like we've seen the craziest already. Now, do you want more aliens and an explanation of that, or do you want them to not even be mentioned, not even come up, and they just you know that's they're just a weird element that are never explained this season? I, maybe a little bit of explanation, but I don't want like I don't want someone to sit down with an alien and have them explain their whole plan. Like maybe a little bit of speculation, like options for things that can be, but I don't necessarily want it laid out flat. If I was an alien and I was abducting people, I don't think I would abduct them from Satan's asylum personally. <laughs> right. You know, if, if yeah. your plan is just uh, doing research or making alien babies across the, the globe or something, you'd think there's got to be a quieter asylum to abduct, abduct people from. Right. Unless, unless the demonic element are also just aliens and they were just using the whole thing as their playground. Maybe that makes sense to me. <laughs> well, sense, but um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. And I'm kind of hoping Lily Rabe and the other dead people make an appearance next week. Cause I do miss some of those people surprisingly. <laughs> Well, you'll have to you know, keep us informed how it how it uh, winds up and what you think of, you know, if you're going to jump in next season or not. But let's move on to Thursday with uh, a bunch of premieres and the Thursday comedies. First of all, we had 30 Rock and Florida, Parks and Rec, Two Parties, and then three premieres, both the, the Archer season premiere, Fugue and Riffs, and then the legit and newsreader pilots. So uh, you saw you saw most of these? I saw all of them except for Legit, which I uh, sadly didn't get to and heard wildly divergent things about. I guess we'll get there in a second. Um, I'm going to go in the order that they're written out in my little thing here. Uh, so 30 Rock, I thought, was uh, better than usual. Uh, I thought it was really funny. I, I, and I, and it's, I always like when 30 Rock manages to inject a little bit of sweetness in between the sardonic humor. And I, I liked all the stuff with um, Alec Baldwin and his mother's girlfriend, I guess. And that material was a nice mixture of slightly gross and you know kind of sweet also um let's see and i i liked all the i i liked all the stuff back at tgs with uh with with tracy jordan and and the and the wackiness and the and uh, you know trying to jenna trying to trying to fix kenneth all all that stuff 
pretty much worked for me. I especially like the quick sight gag of Kenneth in, a, in his, like, Pompadour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty great. Yeah, 30 Rock was, uh, was, was really good. It's one, I think, one of their best episodes in quite a while. And, uh, all this stuff, I, you know, the, it was very meta, but, you know, I think at the whole, why did we never get together conversation with Liz and Jack? I thought that was actually handled really well and was really interesting yeah. and fun. Um, and, and then when you add in the stuff going on at TGS, there are, of course, there's only two episodes left of 30 Rock. So I think having this, you know, everything with Kenneth come back at the end and be the thing that's going to get the show canceled, I think is actually really, really creative and fun. And uh, I look forward to seeing what happens in the next two episodes, which is not necessarily how I felt about the show a couple weeks ago. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, we also had Parks and Rec two parties, which I thought was such a fun episode. Mm -hmm. And it was like more so than any other recent Parks and Rec I can think of. It was just like 22 minutes of just like unbridled joy. <laughs> which normally I wouldn't be into at all, uh, but but it's it was uh, really nicely executed, funny and warm and sweet, and virtually caught, well, except for the stuff with with Jam, uh, played by uh, John Glazer, pretty much conflict free. Mm -hmm. And Parks and Rec can do that because you know there are so many great characters and the show is so funny. And I yeah, and you had to love the uh, the, the molecular mixology going on. <laughs> yeah. This is well. It, as soon as uh, Ron said there is no wrong way to consume alcohol, I was like, "Wait a second! <laughs> this is from the man who says that clear li liquors are for pregnant women and like are only for uh, for women." And what was the what's the line? Uh, I I don't remember. Damn it! But yes, who is clearly disdainful of of particular types of alcohols? Uh, I, I was glad when it was immediately counteracted. Yes. That was pretty great. The only the only thing I had with Parks and Rec at all was everybody on sitcoms. Uh, there's always one person who somehow knows the some a guy who can get them into a ballpark. Right. Yes. And that's it's always feels you know so when they get and they're playing you know in the stadium with the Colts and everything. I'm I'm watching going. I want to give this to you because I love this show and I love these characters and it's such a wonderful joyful moment. But it's so bullshit. Yeah. Ah, so that was, you know, they did it on Cheers. They did it on My Voice. They do it all the time. They did it on, I think, didn't they do it on Seinfeld at least once because of, you know, George working for the Yankees? Right, yeah. Well, I mean, it's 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 one, th I, if they just gotten into the stadium, that would have been one thing. But then mm -hmm. having all the players there was a bit much, I thought. But it was still really good. I still very much enjoyed it. <laughs> Just the psychic of all the blurring of all the penises was, you know, yes. that is not my kind of bachelorette party. Uh, and I've been to enough of them now to be able to distinguish between my my bachelorette party will be uh, basically the, the, the board gaming bachelor party. That was like. Board games? They're playing Settlers? Woohoo! That sounds awesome! <laughs> but the psychic of just all the blur of the censoring was, I just thought, hilarious. And what, did you find it odd that we got, like, walls of of blurred penises on th on Parks and Rec and then a wall of blurred vaginas on 30 Rock? Yeah, it was pretty entertaining. <laughs> nice symmetry there. Now, what did you think of the Archer uh, premiere? Oh, this was really good. Uh, I, I do think the, the, the Boss Burgers thing, it was cute, but a little overhyped. Maybe be, it's funny because a lot of people didn't even know about it, but we we are obsessed with Archer, so we knew about it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I felt like the fact that the kids didn't talk at all really kind of kind of ruined it for me. Like it was still, I mean, the, the actual fight part was amazing, and so <laughs> so bloody. Uh, but I know that uh, Kristen Shaw is going to be on a future episode, so I'm assuming they didn't want to have any weird 
Yeah. They, they didn't want any continuity problems, which is what? ironic if you consider what they're doing here. Uh, but the rest of the episode I thought was really, really good um, and super funny. And I have to say, I, I pretty much lost it. I don't know what it is with FX comedies and appearances of ostriches, but <laughs> I completely lost it when uh, when Cheryl finally saw the ostrich at the end of the episode after teasing it so long. Um, yeah. Yeah. So many great running gags, both both calling back to previous episodes and uh, and throughout this one that were you know typically brilliantly executed. And I love that we're still going to get Barry as as like the the big bad. I love that yeah. the show has a big bad. <laughs> yeah, this. I mean, it's not their best premiere ever, and it's not you know it's I w- it's not their to- in the top five or anything, but it still was solid and a lot of fun, plenty of laughs. And uh, I now want to see the the inverse. I want to see what uh, Archer looks like in Bob's Burgers animation. Uh, so so we'll see if they if they do anything like that on, on Bob's maybe next season. But uh, but I did very much enjoy this episode. As for the legit pilot, uh, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was fine. I I enjoyed DJ Qual, so it was nice to get to see him play, you know, a more interesting character. Just get any amount of layers to a character, which you know he hasn't really gotten on TV in a while. Um, but uh, the my only issue with it is that it doesn't feel like anything new it's nothing that we haven't seen before and so uh, some people will perhaps argue that because you have a character who's in a wheelchair who has some sort of physical you know uh, uh, handicap so that he can't move they will say argue that that makes it different but I don't think it does I think that's just window dressing on a comedy about people who give each other crap all the time so I don't know. I will. It's like it feels like a mix between a couple different shows, but I I, I probably won't jump. Uh, I probably won't keep up, but I'll probably jump in about you know three or four episodes down the line to see if I want to go back and fill in or if I'm good just kind of catching a, episodes that Twitter tells me are particularly good. Mm-hmm. But it but in, I didn't get to see this, but I'm assuming in terms of FX comedy editions, it's probably better than their last couple, which were you know, uh, anger management and unsupervised. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely better than unsupervised. And I haven't even seen anger man- management. It's a good fit. It would be a good fit with always sunny. It's, it's that kind of vein of, of comedy, not as wacky or, or as zany maybe as always sunny often is people have been comparing it to Wilfred, but I don't really see that so much. I, I didn't see quite as much heart. Um, well, and nothing is like Wilfred except Nothing's maybe like the Wilfred. Australian Wilfred. <laughs> But yeah, so that that's how that's where I fell with that. And then how the last one we have is Newsreaders, uh, which I thought was uh, this is on Adult Swim, so it's only like twelve minutes long without commercials. But uh, I thought it was uh, quite funny. I think the the key to making something like this work is a it has to it has to look good. It has to feel reasonably legitimate. Uh, it can't can't be too uh, can't be too rough around the edges. And I think uh, Louis Lafonda helps with that. And I think also the, the if you're doing I wasn't expecting it to be basically a single segment for almost the entire episode. And if you're going to do that, which I assume they're going to keep doing, you need to make sure it's not just a one joke deal. And thankfully this was at least a three joke segment. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I love the, the note they ended on with just the, um, with the, 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 the car industry executive explaining all the terrible things they're actually responsible for. Uh, that yeah. was a, a great way to end that segment. And you, how could you not love Ray Wise? Yeah, that was pretty that great. Was awesome. Ray- 
the, the entire cast that shows up are people that I enjoy. Between him and Missy Peregrim and and Brian Posehn and I mean, I was enjoying the entire cast. I enjoyed this a lot more than I expected. I'm glad that they're doing the single segment over the entire time, as opposed to a more rapid pacing, which would give it make it more of a direct parallel to something like the Onion News Network, which I very much enjoyed, but has a you know is different i actually i like the onion news network a little bit more but i like that this is doing a, a you know it's more of a 60 minute 2020 kind of vibe mm-hmm. than a cnn vibe and i appreciate that so yeah i'm definitely going to keep checking it out i've enjoyed it a lot i think more people should check it out because i didn't see anybody yeah. talking about it and it was slightly outside of your wheelhouse but i love the bit about dan rather uh picking oh. out his his southern rap credentials that was hilarious and such a <laughs> wonderful way to start it kicked it right into gear it was great yeah so check out newsreaders if you haven't uh if you haven't yet on thursday we also have the vampire diaries after school special of course my review is up at sound on site if you want to get my fuller thoughts i don't have that much to say about this one mostly because i think it was really bad not good at all uh i, I can't remember the last time i literally saw a bunch of characters sit down at a table and tell each other their feelings sullenly. Of course, they don't want to. They're being compelled to have to tell each other their feelings, but that is literally what happens for like half of this episode. Yeah, I started watching this and then got bored and watched something else. (laughs) I think it was Newsreaders, actually. Much better. Newsreaders, much better. Uh, This just really highlights for me that keeping the originals around like this has has really uh, hamstrung the show, and it's it's just ridiculous at this point uh, how, how much of an issue, for me at least, the originals are. And uh, when you add that in with the, the Professor Shane and Bonnie stuff, which is ridiculous and makes Bonnie look like an idiot every week, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to stop watching the show. If I wasn't reviewing it for the site, which means I'm committed through the end of the season, I might just break up with it right now. So Yikes. that tells you where I'm at. It wasn't like offensive. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't the worst thing that I watched or the worst thing that aired this week that I have seen by a long shot. But when I when I contrast it with wh- what the show is capable of, it's just incredibly glaring to me. So I'm I'm frust- I'm very frustrated with Vampire Diaries um, and I can't recommend that you go back and finish this episode. Or even oh, that you watch wait. the next episode based on this one. Anyway, anyways, let's, let's move on to Last Resort, another show that's about to end next week. Uh, Except this one week. for good. Yeah, though they're, the ads are selling it as uh, the season finale. I'm like, oh, come on. At least, you know, <laughs> have the respect to say well, series cause it's finale. Because it's not officially canceled yet. They're still just saying, oh, well, we're done. I, I don't think so anyway. I think they've just said, oh, we've just reduced We're not the making more. Yeah, yeah, we're not making any more of it, and we're not going to bring any of you back and there won't be any more episodes but you're not canceled <laughs> <laughs> this was of course the pointy end of the spear it's which saw the coup attempt that you know came together so quickly last week completely fall apart and we also saw some some drama going down on the island what did you think i thought this was quite good uh you know I, again i think in these last few episodes we're seeing the pace that it should have been doing basically the entire time although that would be that would have been a really tricky feat to be honest, especially if it ha- if it had had a twenty two episode order like they were originally supposed to have, or mm. you know multiple seasons as they would originally like to have had. Um, but uh, especially I I, I I liked the the fairly ridiculous Manchurian Candidate style conclusion of the of the coup attempt in DC, and uh, yeah, I, again I I have this feeling that the show is, is is a little bit more radical and interesting politically than homeland sometimes but uh if not all the time but yeah i'm, I'm hoping for just absolute craziness next week just 
balls to the wall insanity. I think there's a lot of potential here. Um, but I, I think a lot for me is going to depend on how it comes together in the finale. So we'll see how that, you know, how it, it all gets paid off or whatever, you know, comes of it. But, but yeah, I, I, I don't know that I buy all the character, the way the characters have moved over the past couple episodes. To me, it feels like there's a distinct line where they found out they were canceled. And then the actions of the Cobb and the X, the XO don't, like, they drastically change. And understandably, you know, the XO, his wife just, uh, just died air quotes so i could see him maybe having a, a drastic shift but even this it doesn't it doesn't feel in character it feels like uh it's necessitated by the fact that they're canceled in two weeks it, it doesn't feel like they necessarily did all the legwork to make it happen but it doesn't feel like a betrayal of the characters exactly it just feels like yeah they're they're goosing that a little but i'm okay with it because circumstantially i can forgive that they want they want to get to the fireworks factory and they don't have much time well, and the last thing that I'll say for it is, uh, I was interested to see Jesse Schramm show up again in the the next week on. So she's yes. clearly back for the finale, and we'll see how that can possibly play in. But... I, honestly, I just picture her showing up for a second and a half to look at the camera wave and say, "Hi, I'm not dead," and then just <laughs> go back to whatever else was happening. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I think we'll we'll see what happens. Hopefully, it'll be. I'm sure it'll be a strong finale. I mean, Sean Ryan, so. He, he can literally go out with one hell of a bang in this yes. show. So we'll see what happens. Let's move on to Saturday, which ha saw the premiere of An Idiot Abroad, season three. This one has Carl Pilkington going around with, with Warwick Davis. And I wanted to mention this just because some of what they do in this is just hilarious between trying to, to fly around in jetpacks and then failing miserably uh, to, to just the the, the basic dichotomy between Pilkington, who is, of course, his character. I don't know how true this is to the actual person, but the character he portrays in this is uh, just someone who hates traveling, is constantly seeing the negative, and they pair it with Warwick Davis, who is almost always incredibly positive and upbeat. So having, instead of just having that contrast via the phone with Ricky, it's nice to actually have the two of them there. It, it works better than I was anticipating. So I very much enjoyed the premiere, and I and we'll see what happens. They're following the Silk the Silk Road for this season, and they're already in. Um, they're going to be in India next week, so we'll see. You know how, how it goes, but I I've enjoyed it, and if you like the other seasons, you'll like this season too. On Sunday we had girls. I get ideas. Pretty much everything else was was not on because of you know football, but I really like this one. What did you think? Yeah, it was nice to see the show just be really damn funny for the most part and not be too concerned about angst, although there was a little bit of that. Uh, the only thing that bothered me, and it did I did sort of predict this, was some of the st some of the Donald Glover stuff, as much as I do like him, it was a little bit on the nose for me in terms of, you know, addressing complaints and and sort of being meta about what the show's about and, you know, and sort of, you know, putting Hannah in her place, et cetera. Et cetera. Like, yeah, like, I, I see what you're doing there, but... It felt a little bit blatant to me, but it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. So I guess that's good. I actually, I, I agree there was an element of that, but I liked that Donald Glover was also wrong. I don't remember the character name, but I, I liked that in that conversation, he was also wrong because he assumed, he just jumps to this assumption that the reason that she's upset, that, that he's just like some phase for her. Um, and instead of just saying, no, no, it's not, she's not 
she's not having sex with you because you're black. She and she's not like breaking up with you because you're black and she's done with this face. She's breaking up with you because you dissed her writing and she's that that sensitive about it. That's all this is about. This is not about race. This is not about politics. This is only about her ego. Right. Although when although when she says that I don't even see you as black now it well, is that's about bullshit. Race. That's, that's, yeah. that's, you know that's clearly bullshit. <laughs> Are you Stephen Colbert? Uh, so yeah, but uh, the stuff with uh, I I love the stuff with Adam Driver and mm-hmm. uh, especially I love the the turn that, that that scene takes where he's chasing her around the apartment and they have mm-hmm. that that, that un- like I've actually been in that situation. I'm not I won't say which person I was. But uh, like I, I, I knew that I, like I recognized a moment of, yeah, I remember that dynamic. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. And I, then the cop showing up was obviously hilarious. And I really like this. I really like the way they're folding in Elijah, who was a character previously. I didn't think that much about or care that much about and this season. I feel like there's a, there's been a I feel like they've rejigged that character a bit. And uh, I, I really like what they're doing with him now. Yeah, I think he works really well as a foil for Hannah and having them as room- <laughs> last week I was getting almost a little annoyed by how phony they're. I love having you as a roommate. <laughs> I mean, I've also had that. Have you had that conversation where you're like, awkward pause, you're the best roommate ever. Let's not deal with our issues. <laughs> I th- yeah. <laughs> definitely had that. Uh, so so that was getting a little, I was worried it was going to be too much of that and not you know, be balanced enough, but I actually really liked him in this episode and that whole dynamic I thought was, was pretty great. So we'll see what happens with, uh, with Marnie moving forward. But I, I also liked what we got with, with, uh, Jessa. I just, she's so insufferable. I can't wait for the, for the fall that's coming with that. Um, yeah. What if they just stay married for the entire show? I'm beginning to think maybe they'll do that just to be dicks. Oh no, Jenna, she, she, she's got to have something happen because she's too insufferable if if she's just always right so she's got i mean even if they stayed married stay married but something else like he loses all his money or something then you know there's there's things that they can do without just having the two of them break up but uh but no she's she was just hilariously self-involved yeah and i love the way he kept calling her dana yeah 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 totally so girls i don't really see the the negative reviews early on maybe because of course people had seen like the first four episodes we're only on episode two maybe it takes a dive but i've really enjoyed these first two episodes yeah for sure and i this one i liked a little better actually yeah me too and uh, i'll also mention of course justine is reviewing girls for us at the website and doing a hell of a job so they're yes. they're fun reads so you guys should check it out on monday we have bunheads i'll be your meyer lansky my only i have two issues with this episode and uh the first is that i wish they would the characters would catch up to where the rest of us are at, where clearly they're going to make sparkles, you know, like have her establish her shop there. That That's happening like next week, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah maybe. Hopefully not, but maybe. Uh, I mean, it just, that seems so obvious to me right now. Uh, just, just the way that they're talking. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, the other issue was uh, they had two dance numbers, and I think those two dance numbers really highlight the the strengths of the show so even though the first dance number looked really pretty it's centered on a character i do not care about whereas the last dance number with sasha i thought was really moving and the show at its best doing what what bunheads can do that other shows can't do and, right. and i really like that really like that closing number the earlier number i was like oh it's pretty but this is taking way too much time there's no story happening yeah that's true it's it's more like hey so remember how we cast someone from So You Think You Can Dance and she's a really good dancer? Well, there she is. Uh, and, you know, she's great. She's, you know, 
great to watch her do her thing and everyone just sort of stands in awe because she's great but yeah you're right there's no character element there really uh, but this but yeah the whole sasha thing at the end was just brutal yeah uh, and really nicely executed i got a little dusty and in, in yeah Castle me Paddle. too uh, getting a little dusty just thinking about it not gonna lie yeah <laughs> that was really brutal and it was nice to get uh to see mel get something to do for once oh yeah i'm loving this idea of her as, as roller derby girl yeah. i think that is wonderful yeah and i i completely lost it at the hair pulling bit that was so funny uh, and just the, and, and and wonderfully choreographed, yeah, much like a dance sequence, actually. What just happened? I don't know. Keep walking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just went red. <laughs> well, because each of the other characters feels uh, the bunheads that is feels really well defined, but uh, but but she didn't. She was the last one who was tall bunhead, right? Who didn't really have a particularly defining characteristic, other than she has a brother who she is always arguing with. And so I think to make her, like, the tough chick who will beat you up if you if you mess with her her family or her friends, I think is makes a lot of sense and is great. It was wonderful to have Fanny back. I, I'm confused as to why we're spending so much time with these new characters, but we've been missing a Bunhead or Fanny every week so far. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the show's always had a weird sense of how to deal with this characters and also i'm not sure we've ever seen fanny and uh and michelle be quite so chummy before like it there, there was no there was no snipping between them at all which seemed mm -hmm. a little odd but okay whatever I, li I liked all the scenes with the accountant and yeah i feel like now the bunhead that needs a little more development is probably Ginny, mm -hmm. but it seems like obviously they're going to do something with her and frankie at some point but i'm hoping that they it was nice she had a little bit more to do than that well, it'd be nice if she was defined as other than her relationships, which so far has been her entire thing. So first she had her boyfriend of forever, and then she dumped him for Charlie, and then now she's uh, ha now she's being defined by liking Frankie. So it right. would be nice yeah, if true. we got more from her. Right. Yeah. I, I need to stop thinking of her as just uh, mini Megan Hilty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is like uncanny. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the roller derby next week, though. It should be fun. Yeah. And our final show of our weekend TV is the following pilot. And uh, shall we, sir? Shall we bust it out for the second time ever in Televerse history? Oh, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Spotlight of shame. Yes, that's right. The following is in our spotlight of shame. And uh, I hate this pilot. I was I saw it back at Comic-Con. Uh, I was going to, to rewatch it, but I, I ran out of time and uh, getting six hours of sleep and not watching the following was better for all involved than getting five hours of sleep and watching the following. So my thoughts on the following have been pretty soundly explored. Let's start with you. All right. Yeah, I didn't. You saw this months ago and I didn't get to see it until this morning, actually. And, you know, for the first 15 minutes, I was thinking to myself, or 20 minutes, maybe I was thinking to myself, OK, this isn't good. But it's sort of inoffensively bad. Like, you know, it looks good. It's got a lot of actors I like, mostly playing really boring parts, but whatever. You know, it's it's passable. And then by the time, um, you know, we got to, especially I would say the turning point for me was getting Nevermore scrawled in blood and like capital letters on the wall. And and like and then one of the other FBI guys give it like. I don't buy that they that they would have neighbors sit up there for three years. Like, no, nobody should. This is the worst lampshading ever, ever yeah, in TV ever. history. And just so many credibility. I mean, just the, the fact that just the whole premise of this is a guy who can convert 
anyone, regardless of you know race, <laughs> gender, uh, sexual preference, age, oh, no, they occupation. Probably they probably weren't even gay, Simon. Yeah, because gay people could never be twisted into serial killers. They this this guy's such a powerful mind warper that he can make people be okay to pretend they're gay because that's the worst thing you could ever do. Yeah, uh, yeah. This everything about that, like by the end, it's just so ludicrous. And like it's, it starts off ludicrous, but by the end, it's just it's insultingly ludicrous. Well, I was putting together stuff for the podcast. I went over to the Fox website and watched the the very beginning of it. I got about ten minutes in, and upon watching it this time, I was struck by well, a couple of things. First of all, can we just say and at TCA's there was a lot of talk about violence on television, and and uh, the Fox guys and you know Kevin Riley and also the people at the show the following had very little, if anything, to say about violence on television and, what you know, justifying why it, this is such a violent show. And, and uh, you know, like, the, it's, it's, there's a lot that happens in this pilot. There's a lot of really gruesome acts. This airs in the same time slot as Bunheads. <laughs> uh, yeah, when you put it that way. Yeah, this is, you know, they barely let, you know, let Law & Order SVU be in this time slot. No, Law and Order SVU wasn't even in this time slot last year. Law and Order airs an hour later than this show. It's ridiculous. Uh, so so you know, this this pilot opens up and there's just a bloodbath and bodies all over the place. A guy takes out his eye with an ice... The person stabs out their own eye with an ice pick in this. You know, there's ridiculous, horrible violence. And this is at the same time, airing at the same time as Bunheads. It's ridiculous. It's terrible. And the fact that they didn't have anything to say, they weren't prepared to talk about violence on television at the TCAs is disgraceful. That aside, uh, I have, what, what struck me was not only the, the sexualization, fetishization and misogyny of the violence in, in this pilot, but also the terrible dialogue. They literally introduce Kevin Bacon's character saying, I'm not an FBI agent anymore. Like it's, yeah, it was total NTSF SDSUV dialogue. I don't do that anymore. I'm retired. I'm off the job. It's like, yeah, I know, but we need you. You're the best. You know this guy like nobody else. Like, that's literally the dialogue that they have written. Yeah. And Come just, on. There's just so many individual details that just feel annoying to me. Like, you know, the whole, oh, I'm an alcoholic. And, and it's going to be mentioned once and yes. never brought back. And, oh, my love interest is 20 years younger, literally. And mm -hmm. blah blah blah. It's just, I've seen every single one of these elements before, and then to see them here again, like this was created by Kevin Williamson, you know, who wrote Scream and some other interesting stuff, and some other terrible stuff as well. But he's a guy who who is knowledgeable when it comes to especially horror tropes, and that's why I really had to cringe at the most at the very end when James Purefoy's character, who by the way just sucks, um, just when he's explaining, "You're the protagonist. People are gonna identify with you." Blah. Just oh my god. Like, you're demonstrating to us that you understand how your show works, and you're explaining that to us, and it's supposed to be clever and, and cutting. It's just fucking annoying. Well, the the Poe analysis is something that would have gotten myself and my colleagues in sophomore or maybe, maybe see, let's be generous, senior level English in high school, a bad grade. Yeah, definitely. It's so completely 
unthought out and really it's like did you you know the description the way they described it mo ryan described it was like somebody sitting in university at two in the morning thinking they're really profound yeah well and the way everyone talks oh he was a brilliant professor it's like really really because the flashbacks we got were pedestrian yeah i think what they meant was he was really handsome it's like (laughs) Like, that's all he's got there, there was a very small, da- a very small pool of in any way attractive professors at this college. Is what you know what I took from it. Then I also want to talk about what I, I'm surprised I'm not hearing more people talk about. So Maggie Grace is in this episode. Of course, Ricky hated it because there's a situation with the dog. But it, it, Maggie Grace is on the stand testifying about uh, you know how she had survived the attack and you know she was the only person to live uh, from the serial killer and. She, they say, where was the knife? It was, she had been stabbed. And they say, where was the knife? It was inside me. I reached down to pull it out of my stomach. I'm sorry. It was inside me. It was jammed in my side. That's who says it was inside me. Oh, only somebody who's trying to fetishize violence against she had been stabbed in the side and she tried to, I reached down to really, cause that's really, that's right where your arm is, your stomach. That's exactly where, how are you reaching down it's like the the sexualization of of that of of that dialogue that language is not only completely not uh it does not feel accurate at all for a character who has experienced that kind of trauma like i is really is this character sexualizing her own description of how she was stabbed for herself why is this happening um and then you also just the fact that it's all uh, the, you know, of course, serial killers. You know, they're, they have a thing. This guy's thing is women, so of course there's gonna, so of course there's going to be a lot. All the violence is going to be against women because it's about this specific guy. But I, I had I had significant problems with misogyny in this. Um, so I'm I was surprised I'm not hearing anything about that. Um, and also, just I James Purifoy is great on Rome. Have you seen Rome? No, I still haven't yet. Yeah, Mark Anthony on Rome, fabulous. Uh, Kevin Bacon can be really good. Natalie Zay, of course, we were like a lot on Justified. I think she's the only one to get out of this in any way. I, I actually enjoyed her rapport with the, the police officers and stuff. She's She feels like she has some strength to her character or some defining characteristic. I don't know how much of that is just my affinity for Winona at this point. Well, kind of carrying and, over, but... And, and actually, if you think about it, if you think about wh- who her character is and what her position is, She's in the most interesting position because I don't know how much I've seen that character presented, like the person who's yeah. married to uh, to a horrible human being and has to deal with it, especially with a kid. Like mm-hmm. that's really interesting, and they don't even really touch that at all. Nope. Uh, and yeah, and all her and most of her dialogue is just so pat. And I I feel like when I watch her talk on this show, I just keep think I just I picture her thinking of like like she she has a section she can just think about other stuff because the dialogue is just so boring. Yeah. Like, oh. Remember Justified? That was some great dialogue. But this is so much more money. But that was some great dialogue. I, I just picture this like happening in the background. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, so yes. Don't watch the following. Don't do it. Yeah. Oh, and sorry. I, 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 I had to save my biggest cringing for. It's as though he has, and then everyone looks into the camera and crosses their arms. Followers. That's not really what happens, but that's what it felt like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The name of the show is like hashtag the following talk about us on Twitter, please. Yeah, it's um, I don't understand how people like this show. If it was if it was well written and and had all these other issues with it, 
or if it was just as terribly written as it is here, but there were good performances or interesting nuanced character development from the actors in these characters, maybe I could get it. But these are bad performances, uninteresting at the very at the very best performances, terrible writing, and just disgusting, gross, uh, like psychology and 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 again, same time slot as Bunheads. Yeah, can't say that often enough. I mean, you you are cheating a little bit since Bunheads is on ABC Family, but yes, your point your point is valid. Oh yes, it's also on at the same time as The Bachelor, Two Broke Girls, and Nine O Two One O. Hey now, Nine O Two One O can get pretty intense. Yeah, so that's that's the other things that are on the you know on the networks at that time. So oh sorry, also The Biggest Loser. So yeah. That that's you know that's what is sharing this time slot, and that and the reason that, that this is happening, by the way, is because this is the latest Fox can program something, but that doesn't change the fact that this should not be able to be airing in this time slot. As far as I'm concerned, it is ridiculous. Uh, anyway, so that is that is my thoughts. Clearly, very very virulent, and I promise to not talk about it anymore unless you guys want to talk about it with me. Of course, Twitter is is your friend for that. Uh, but but yeah, let's get into some show notes here, and before we go to our our, a, a cheerier topic with our, our season spotlight and then also DVD shelf on Fringe with Noel Murray from the AV Club. Of course, you can find us up at soundonsite.org. There'll be a post for this episode of the podcast. You can leave us comments there. Let us know what you're thinking about all these different shows. And if you have recommendations of what we should check out, let us know there. You can reach us on Twitter. As we said earlier, I'm at the Televerse. You are? I'm at Sucker Howell. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. And what should our question of the week be? I'd like to know if if, if anyone is still watching Last Resort at all. <laughs> since, it, <laughs> yeah. since it does have a week left, and I'll be I'll be curious to see if we get reactions to the finale and uh, and all that excitement. I assume it'll be exciting. Yeah. So we'll uh, yeah, let us know. How about if people have predictions too for what they think how they think it'll end? Honestly, if the world doesn't blow up, I'm gonna be a little disappointed. Little bit, little bit. We'll see what happens. Uh, of course, uh, you can also find us in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed as well as an MP3 unchaptered feed, and you can subscribe there or leave us an iTunes rating or review. We would very much appreciate if uh, if you guys would take a few minutes to go over to iTunes and support the show by reviewing it or rating it. It helps other people find the show. And it, there's a lot of TV podcasts out there, especially show specific ones. So if you like the podcast, you know, let other people know about it because it can be hard to, for people to to find a podcast like this. Of course, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles, and that is, I think that's quite enough, yes? Yes. So let's uh, take a quick break, listen to the Fringe theme song and uh, clip, and come back with Noel Murray of the AV Club to talk Fringe Season 5 and the series as a whole. So how long does he have left? 24 hours. His brain will no longer be able to oxygenate itself. I'm so sorry that I can't offer you a less dangerous solution. What do you mean? Didn't I mention it? Whatever you think you said, you didn't say. The synaptic transfer system, the shared dream state. What do you mean, shared dream state? Human brain generates a quantifiable electric field. I posited in 1976 that it is possible to synchronize the fields of two distinct minds to allow the sharing of information across the unconscious state. Uh, like a string between two tin cans. You know what's great about that is that it's completely insane. You're saying I can talk to John in a coma? 
And he can tell me what the suspect looks like. It's not an exact science. It's not even science. Have you done this before? I have used this technique to extract information from a corpse once. You can do that if they haven't been dead for longer than six hours. Right, because after six hours, that's when they're really dead. You could access his memories, assuming there's no brain damage. Of course, you'd have to have an electromagnetic probe placed in the base of your skull whilst immersed without clothing in the old tank. And you'd be heavily drugged. Take at least a few hours. I'd need your help to synthesize it if it's not too much Yeah, trouble. sure, no problem. That sounds like fun. The, the man who was just released from the mental institution, he wants to give you a drug overdose, then stick a metal rod into your head and put you naked into a rusty tank of water. No, I don't want to. No, no I'd rather not. I'm just saying I can. the televerse this is kate kalsik joined as ever by simon howell and this week at the dvd shelf we thought we would take it some time to talk about not only the fringe finale the two-part finale which of course aired this past week but also the series as a whole so we are happy to welcome to the dvd shelf noel murray from av club to help us talk about fringe now noel welcome to the show you've been covering fringe for its entire run so that this must have been a a interesting viewing experience for you a lot of fun but also probably a lot of memories yeah, I mean, it's, it's, when, when you're dealing with the end of something um, and, and you've been writing about it from the beginning, it's, it's kind of tricky to know how big you're, mm -hmm. you're supposed to go, whether you need to uh, find some grand summary statement that you can apply to the whole thing or whether you just treat it like another, another episode of TV. Um, so, yeah, I tried to find a sweet spot somewhere between that and actually deal with what the, what the two finale episodes actually were but also sort of say goodbye to the series and, you know, uh, all of my my commentator pals who, who show up every week to talk about it. Yeah, it really does affect your, your experience watching some of these shows when it is a weekly experience for you, writing about it, analyzing it, discussing it with, you know, common commentators. It, it I was surprised to look back at some of these early episodes because, uh, of course, I've been covering Fringe for Sound on Sight for the past two years, but... I, of course, had the experience of watching the first several without that. And so I was surprised how much of the early seasons I was far less uh, familiar with because I hadn't had that week of thinking about it you know, each time to, to really cement it in my mind. Yeah, because you know, when, when you write about it week to week, you bounce ideas off of the people who are reading you. Um, they come up with things that they've noticed that you missed or um, you know, they talk about things they didn't like or did like, and it kind of causes you or me in my case to – rethink the things you your, your opinions and also you know what you see in the series and you know i think also the pro the process of writing about something week to week you start to think a little more a little more closely or look a little more closely at what the show actually is and what it's trying to do um and i think that to me at least it really honed my appreciation i think i would have enjoyed fringe either way because that's the kind of show that i like but i think also trying to think about what they were doing for five years, um, you know, I think I think helped me actually enjoy the show a lot more. Yeah, with some series that that week to week analysis really helps, and with some it it really doesn't. Uh, as I experienced going from just watching True Blood to reviewing True Blood, it kind oh, of yeah. destroyed any appreciation <laughs> I had for the show. Uh, but let's talk about Fringe now. Do you, should we start with the finale, or should we just dive into the series as a whole? What do you guys think? Let's start with the finale. Okay, so what did you think, Noel? 
Uh, I liked it. I, you know, I, I have some qualms. Um, I've been kind of reading a lot of stuff. This, we're, we're recording this, I guess, a day after it aired. So um, I've been reading over the past, uh, you know, 12 to 14 hours other critics' opinions, and I've been reading my commenters and seeing what they have to say. Generally speaking, my commenters seem wildly enthusiastic about the finale, whereas some of my critic friends are um, either neutral or kind of disliked it. Um, I don't know. I, I felt like it, it did what this, what this season was uh, intending to do, which is kind of take one last trip through all of these different aspects of the show and leave the fans with something emotional um, and kind of a warm feeling uh, uh, you know, to take away from, from the past five years. And these two last episodes, if you look at them strictly objectively, um, there's not much to them beyond just kind of moving pieces into place and then having everything kind of happen as people said it was going to happen. There are no real twists. There's nothing really uh, you know, dark or deep people have to grapple with over the course of these two hours. That said, I found it incredibly emotional, especially especially the last episode, which has one scene after another of people saying goodbye to each other. And I think that's part of what we look for from, from a weekly television show is, is people that we enjoy hanging out with, and we want our finales to be a way to say goodbye to them in a way that feels you know, satisfying. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the most effective scenes in this finale were were those of the characters saying goodbye. I was particularly moved by P- Walter and Peter's goodbye earlier in the the second of these two episodes, and then again with Astrid and Walter's uh, final real close scene. I th- thought they were they were fantastic and really played to the episode and and really the season's strengths. I think this, uh, and I will have my review up by the time people are, listeners are hearing this, but uh, I think that. I think that this episode gets a lot of the character right, but I was actually very disappointed by by its plotting and by its in in some ways its a uh, heavy-handed approach to the themes of the show, and in other ways really uh, under analyzed uh, you know use of themes. So so while we have almost a hammering, a bludgeoning over the head with family and fatherhood, which have been such an important through line of the series. I, I was hoping for more examination of the morality of sending a child to the future. Now, we find out that he's going to go with another person, so it's not quite as bad. But again, relying on a child to save the world and experimentation, and hopefully this scientist will be a good guy and not just kidnap Michael and dissect <laughs> his brain. But the fact that there's no analysis of that and no through line back to Olivia's experience uh, as, as a child, I thought was a, a really wasted opportunity. And then the final thing uh, before I, of course, Simon, I want to know what you think. Um, for me, is I was disappointed by the final shot because while it is uh, a good, you know, it's well done and, and it's interesting and many people I'm sure will love that they brought back the white tulip. I was disappointed because I, f- I feel like that final shot makes Peter the main character, whereas for me, it's, this has always been Olivia's story. Mm. So I was, you know, even if they just had them both in that scene, it would have worked better for me, but uh, I, was, I was sort of disappointed by that. Um, but I'm sure, Noel, you'll have some thoughts on that. But for Simon, what did you think of this finale? I think to, to echo things that Noel said, I think the key word for this finale was comfy. There were there was nothing to challenge long-term viewers, and there was a lot to make them feel like that 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 their that most of their chief interests were being looked after, at least in terms of sort of the big, broad emotional uh, issues. I agree with you about the last shot and it feeling strange that we didn't end on Olivia. I, I agree with with you on that. 
I mean, to, to me, like, if, if you try to scrutinize too many aspects of this finale, a lot of, a lot of it just doesn't hold up, but I kind of feel like that's been true of a lot of the season, to be honest. So I'm not really sure how much I should really criticize specifically the finale for that. For instance, just over the last couple episodes, the way they've gone from, oh, you know, Walternate is, or, uh, sorry, or however you want to call him, Walter 1.0 is sort of emerging out of, out from under Walter 2.0, and that's going to be a problem until it wasn't. And then it just wasn't. Yeah. And there's a magical, you know, there's a magical boy. Yes, yes. I I get it. There's a magical boy, and magical boys are magical. But, um, you know, things like that just were happening all throughout this season and, and, and again in these finales. And, um, so I, I guess I just got used to it. And I was, I, at this point, I wasn't too disappointed when it kept doing things like that. Um, at, at the same time, wouldn't it have been great if they gave something, if they gave Astrid something really cool to do in the last two episodes? <laughs> <laughs> well, she was, she, she was, she was, uh, um, Miss Idea. She had, she had the, she had the idea in both episodes that kind yes, of, the, the light bulb popped over her head. Yes, she had yes. two lines of dialogue. Wow. That's a lot for her it, it this just, season. I, I, I had this thought while I was watching the episodes and I was just like, at any point when they were going from, you know, switching realities, going through time, whatever, why didn't she, why wasn't she just, okay, guys, so I'm not on the payroll anymore. Mm-hmm. Can I just go? <laughs> <laughs> I really don't understand why, you know, because of course they had such significant budget cuts on the on the series to be able to make these final thirteen episodes. That's I assume part of why Lincoln was, you know, stayed over there because they needed to reduce the cast for this final season, and to the point where, you know, and they spend much of the time in the lab. There's a lot fewer sets and outdoor shooting and stuff. To, to compensate for that budget reduction, if they were going to keep Astrid there, I'm confused why they haven't used her all season, even just to kill her off in an emotional way like they did with Etta. But you could lift Astrid completely out of the season, give her two meaningful, you know, ideas in the, these final episodes to somebody else, and the season wouldn't change. And that's a problem. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I also don't, just don't disagree with the idea that, that Olivia gets shortchanged um, in this season. I think I think the thought processes, and I've read a little a little bit about what the writers were thinking. Uh, I think the thought processes were that you know Olivia had her season with the you know with the A universe B universe uh, you know coexisting. She had she, she she had that arc, and she had a little bit of that arc last season, and so this was a chance for Peter to finally have a story that was sort of his. Which makes sense if you look at it in terms of let's give everybody a chance to do their thing. All, the, all our actors have a chance to have a showcase, but less so if you think of the entire series as one long story, um, which I guess is really um, the real question about season five is whether the season five is just kind of another adventure that takes place in the same universe or whether it's a completion of the story that was set up back in episode one. And I think, honestly, I think it probably ended up being more a new adventure, you know, set in, in, in another place. And I, I enjoyed this, the premise. I remember when um, the season five started, some people seemed surprised by this time jump. I think they had foreshadowed that pretty you know, straightforwardly in, in Letters of Transit in season four. Um, but I was excited for it. I thought it was interesting. I really liked the casting of Georgina Haig as Etta. I was hoping Desmond would show up as more than a, a head on a computer. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, of course, that's Henry and Cusick, not Desmond his character from Lost. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I understand. But uh but I you know I think there was a lot of potential here and uh, I think actually there, I really enjoyed what we got and what Anna Torv got to do. I think 
she got a lot to do actually in her relationship with Ada, the relationship with Peter. I think that actually, you know, while she wasn't the, necessarily the main focus, she there was a lot of character work going on there. I also really appreciated that Joshua Jackson did get, you know, at least in those several Observer Peter episodes, he got a real showcase. And I thought, I think that was great. Where I come into issue is more, this, this season feels somewhat incohesive. And I talked about this last week on the podcast, of course, but you know, the thing that Simon, you mentioned about this Walter, Walter, you know, Walter, original recipe, Walter, or I think I call him, uh, that struggle, which was so interestingly laid out only a few episodes ago in, in Black Blotter, just magically being fixed. That's, that seems like a disconnect in the writer's room. If that was important or not, they should have decided that towards the beginning of the season. And then something as simple as if the observers never existed, then who saved Walter and no, no, Peter no, 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 from no, no, dying? No. I mean, it's, it's just that for something that has been such a substantial element in the plot and the story that they've gone back to several times, Raiden Lake has been a really significant place in this show's history. That seems like a glaring issue. I kept waiting for someone to say, wait, wait a we can't save Etta because this way because if September never comes back, <laughs> then... Yeah, no, I mean, you can't I mean... possibly think those things through because you're going to... I mean, I, I don't know how any of that actually works. Well, I will say I will say two two things real quick. Uh, uh-huh. um, you know, two things I kind of had hoped would happen. Uh, one involves Raiden Lake. When they were talking about where the shipping lane was going to be, mm-hmm. I figured absolutely 100% sure it was going to be Raiden Lake and they were, and they were actually going to have to end the show at the place where, you know, where Peter and Walter, where, 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 the, where, where September saved, you know, uh, uh, Peter's life. And, you know, I mean, I thought that was going to, what was going to happen to bring it full circle, but that didn't. The other thing is you mentioned that, you know, the, the moral implications were not really grappled with in these last two episodes. I thought there's going to be something more with uh, Olivia essentially bringing the observers over to Earth too. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, oh, they, yeah, they, I had that I mean, thought, too. And, and festing it, I mean, in a way that in her attempt to save their lives, she could she could destroy another universe, you know, which which is kind of one of the common recurring themes of Fringe. And and that didn't take hold either. So I was a little disappointed that, that those two things, you know, both in terms of bringing, uh, you know, the one element of the show full circle and also kind of continuing to explore uh, the moral implications. Well, and I, I and I think in terms of the season as a whole, there was a lot less of the sort of fun moral quandaries and you know sort of characters making poor ethical decisions for their own gain uh that we got in previous seasons i mean for instance you know we get that awesome arc of peter sort of becoming uh becoming an observer and i i i i saw this theory floated around that he was actually going to be the first observer which i thought would have been really really cool but um but you know then he just takes it out and then you know we get coming back and then he's just gone and all these things we floated about possibilities for the finale didn't happen because like uh, like you said Noel they they really went for a much more straightforward this is what we said was going to happen the plan goes according to plan which was very strange in retrospect to watch fringe do <laughs> <laughs> it's something that they uh it, early in the episode and i'm surprised it didn't occur to me sooner early in the episode uh it, it just seemed obvious that this was the series was going to end somewhere around the, that day at the park with Etta, and that that did feel very fitting. It felt uh, that could have felt contrived or obvious, but I think they did a good job of making it feel right. I was, I th- maybe that would have been an interesting place to end it. I know they wanted to bring back the white tulip, but this also sort of reminds me of uh, the end of season four, which had 
a bunch of issues, which I'm sure we can talk about uh, as we continue talking about the rest of the series. But with the arc and William Bell coming back, and it's all very strange. But then it ends on a very happy family note. You know, everybody, you know, all the people we want to survive, survive. They're all together. They're all happy. Olivia's pregnant. It's a rosy outlook. I remember when that aired feeling like, okay, they're giving us the happy ending this year, which means next year, if it gets, we get it next year, it's going to be depressing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually a little happy that we didn't get what I was expecting. Uh, though, it, you know, what I was expecting last year to be the finale this year Maybe not that same expectation a couple weeks ago, but still, I was glad that we did get these characters that we, you know, have come to really enjoy. You know, at least most of them got to go off into the sunset somewhat. And hopefully, well, Astrid got a life. Yes, yeah. hopefully, yeah. Well, and, and actually, I was glad that there was a little bit of sacrifice involved. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, for that brief moment that it seemed like that uh, Donald September or Don Timber, as they've been calling him on, on, on in my commenters, um, was going to take the bullet for Walter and, and, and go to the future, and, and, and Walter was going to be able to make it. I mean, I kind of suspected all along that wasn't going to happen. But, but nevertheless, I, I was glad that I was right about that and that, in fact, Walter didn't have to make that choice because I was, I was really – I wouldn't say that I disliked the finale of season four, but I certainly kind of rolled my eyes at the mm -hmm. at the, the piling up of happy endings that happened. Oh, I just the, it. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, mean, we, well, we were not kind in our review. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I think I gave like a B minus, I think on 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 my side, um, you know, because because I had loved the way they wrapped up the the Earth Two storyline and that mm -hmm. that final episode with, with with Walter and Walter Net sitting side by side. That was a great episode. It was a beautiful image. And then the last two episodes of this of the season are just kind of you know a big mess, you know, yeah. with with yeah. lots of stuff going on, uh, and then a really weird you know conclusion. So so I was glad that there 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 did seem to be a little bit more intentionality and and planning to the way this finale played out, and it did involve some element of sacrifice. But I would have preferred a little bit more because I, I think that since you're not going to come back and you're not you're not trying to win anybody over at this point, I think people remember season finales or series finales that have a little bit more sacrifice involved and a little bit more pain. Um, and I think, I think, I think this is the kind of show that could have stood to have maybe a little bit of unrest in, in this last episode, even though I found it very warm and, and this is their show. They chose to make it this way. I respect that. And I, I can't say that I didn't enjoy it because I did. Uh, I just know that intellectually I would have preferred something a little bit more challenging. Yeah, and it it would have fit with the theme, or not the theme, the tone of the series as a whole. This is a show that has had characters that we really like get killed off in not very pleasant ways. This is, I mean, if you take it back to the first season, and unfortunately, I was one of these people, and I'm glad to know now how wrong I was. But this was the first season where the the main character, you know, Anna, people were saying she was a terrible actress that you know because she was just dour all the time depressed and it wasn't until we found out that she had been you know abused physically and emotionally as a child that we're like oh that makes sense okay but this you know this is a show that started with some really complex tricky and dark emotions and so i think to have some of that come back in the finale would have really fit yeah i i get behind that but yet but like i said that's not the, the sort of finale and in some ways, not the sort of season they apparently wanted to go out on, which is, you know, their, their prerogative. And, and also, you know, I, I have this feeling of watching these 13 episodes and yeah, yeah, at least, at least for me, I, I felt like the entire time I felt, I felt like no, no, nobody really expected to be doing this this long. Yeah. <laughs> 
um, which which is maybe which maybe lends a sort of the slightly carefree air of the uh, of, of the finale. You know that they just really want a nice, cozy ending for their for their fans because the fans have kept them alive this long, and they don't want to upset the faithful. I suppose. Yeah, let's give a little recognition to Fox for keeping the show around. It's kind of astonishing. Yeah, that they got, let alone a fifth season, even a fourth season, they did not have the ratings to justify it. So clearly, somebody over at Fox likes this show, and they have good taste. I think we would all agree. <laughs> but uh, that's. That's pretty amazing, and I think it's going to be a while before we see any genre programming on television, network television specifically, that's as interesting, as thought-provoking, and at times as existential and philosophical as Fringe at its best was. Yeah, and, and, I, and I want to say, to, to speak up for season five, I think all of those elements were there in the season mm-hmm. two. It, it just was not, I mean, the overall arching story of the season may not have dealt with that stuff as much. But if you look at the individual episodes, I mean, there are some real standout episodes in this season that I think, you know, if I were to make a list of my favorite 20 or 25, uh, you know, there'd be one or two from this season that would, would, would make that list. Um, so, and I think that they they found a way to keep the, while having an overall arc to the season, they still found a way to have an episodic structure by having the videotapes and trying to chase them down week to week and, and have, you know, and bring back old stories and, and, and find a way to work that into it too. So I, I really feel like, um, you know, the, the season five as a whole worked, it just didn't necessarily always work in the way that I would have preferred that it did. Yeah. But we're already 20 minutes in and we've barely talked about the rest of the series. So <laughs> what, you know, aside from this finale and this experience of this final season, what are you guys going to take away most of Fringe as a whole? I, I feel like for me, I'm going to remember the highlights and do my best to forget the the lowlights, which I suppose is what you do with any show that's ending. But I feel like it's especially easy to do with Fringe because there was so much messing about with timelines and alternate universes and alternate versions of characters, et cetera, et cetera, that so much of the show is just mixed up in my brain anyway. So... It, it makes it easier for the for the highlights to come out, and and for me, I guess the the run of the show that I'll always think back most fondly on was probably the whole, I, maybe not quite the whole back half, but most of the back half of season two, I thought was just fantastic, so much fun, and but without not being uh without without being weightless, I guess, um especially the, the you know the whole invasion into Earth two rescue scenario, uh X Men. <laughs> thing that happens uh, that I, I i must have watched those episodes three times when i when they first aired because i I thought they were just so badass um and you know there, there's good stuff in the in the following season as well but just that that run of the show to me was 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 fringe at its most thought-provoking and fun and funny and uh and beautifully executed all at the same time yeah i'd agree with that i think from from midway through season two uh, I think pretty much all of season three, I, I, I liked a lot, and I liked you know most of season four really until the last two episodes. Um, I, I think there's some episodes in season four that I think are absolutely brilliant. Uh, you know, ones that, you know, um, one, one night in October comes to mind. Um, you know, uh, letters of transit, uh, um, the, the big final episode with Walter Maltrant, like I mentioned before. So I mean, there's a lot of great individual episodes, which I think is something that is rare for a serialized show like this that you can you can look and say. Here's this standout episode. Here's this one. If you could, you could show it in repeats, and there are there are individual episodes that you'd want to watch again. Um, and also, I, I think what what I'm going to take away from it actually, I mean, they they obviously wanted to make this show more focused on characters than on a huge mythological story arc. 
And I think that paid off for them in the long run because I, I'm going to remember these people and these actors who played these people. So I, I think that it's, it's not that easy to create these kind of iconic, indelible science fiction fantasy characters you know, to the point where you could you could stick them in another situation and you, you could see them and you could say, oh, that's that's Olivia or that's Folivia or that's Walter or that's Walternet or that's Astrid or Ostrid. You know, you, you know them from just a few gestures and lines and the way they're dressed and the way they behave. Um, and, you know, that's the kind of stuff that as a, as a sci-fi fantasy, you know, superhero adventure fan that I look for those, those, those people that I, I feel warmly towards and, and will remember for years, decades to come. Well, and these are, I was especially surprised looking back at watching the pilot again. Uh, and that's a better pilot than I remember. I remember I probably had suffered in comparison when I first watched it. Cause I was of course thinking of lost and thinking of alias, which have some of the best pilots ever. Uh, but that is a really solid pilot. And looking back, these were such clear tropes you know, you had the young, plucky, upstart FBI agent. You had the mad scientist. You had the sarcastic, underachiever, rebellious son. These are very, you know, un- uninteresting at this point tropes, uh, character tropes. And so to be able to make such clearly defined characters so quickly, I think, is impressive and is a testament to both the writing and the performances. And I think for me, what I will take away from Fringe uh, are the performances. I'm very interested to see what Anna Torv does next. I hope she gets anything approaching you know, <laughs> the, the, the material she was given to work with at points in, in this show. And then also probably the cinematography, because this has been such a visually interesting and striking show for most of its run. And we got a little bit of that in, in part one of the uh, the finale this week. But uh, those are the two elements that I think really separate this show out. It's ideas as well, of course, but the, those performances are, are pretty amazing. You know, visually speaking, it's kind of fun to go back. And I, I watched this, the, the season one finale, which has that, you know, a pretty awesome set of cliffhangers. And I noticed that was shot by Michael Slovis, who's now, of course, the DP on all of Breaking Bad. And that that episode in particular looks totally different from what the show has been doing over the last while. So it's sort of interesting to see the shooting style shift over time. I was disappointed that uh, 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 Brad Anderson, who's who's the director who who I associate with some of the most visually dynamic episodes of Fringe, uh, didn't do anything in the in the last season. Yeah. I, I, I had my fingers kind of crossed that maybe they were saving him for the finale and they were going to bring it, bring him out then. But uh, I guess he had other things to do. I mean, he is a feature film director, you know, as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would have just sent a DVD copy of some of his episodes and Session Nine to the Fox offices and be like, "Remember, guys, remember." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting when I was looking back because, of course, with so, you know most of my favorite shows, when I think back on my favorite episodes, often there are, are certain writers that will have done the, my favorites because they're I guess they're more their humor or their dramatic sensibilities are closer to what I prefer. And I didn't necessarily find that to be the case with Fringe, but yeah, yeah, there are certain directors that that did come to mind, and you know the, he's definitely one of them. I think, uh, and those we've left behind is gotta be in my top three for the series and that's of course the fabulous episode that had Stephen Root and Romy Rosemont as mm-hmm. the, the the married couple from season four I'm still waiting for those two to get their own I don't know good wife arc or <laughs> or justified arc or their own series I would be wonderful but yeah for for a show that is has been so philosophical at times and so so much an exploration of character and identity and all of this I was surprised that there weren't more specific writers that stood out to me yeah and maybe that maybe that just goes back to this being more of a performer's show 
at least for me, than than anything else. The the performances of, of Anna Torv and John Noble. And the other thing I was going to mention with Joshua Jackson is that upon rewatching the pilot and especially some several of the early season one or season two episodes, I was surprised by how underrated he had been in my own estimation. Because while he doesn't get anything particularly flashy to do for most of the run of the series, he he's such an important figure in that dynamic because I think without his particular brand of sarcasm, Walter doesn't work. And and even Olivia at times, because she was so dour for so much of the early run of the series, doesn't work. So uh yeah, it's been I was surprised by how much humor there was in those early episodes that I had forgotten about and how much of that came from Joshua Jackson. I mean I've gone back and looked through um what I wrote about season one and, and I, I noted that stuff at the time. I think the biggest problem with season one was that um, they still weren't entirely sure what, where these characters were going to go, or, or they knew but were holding it back until you know, later on because they had this big six-season plan. I think at one point that you know they were, they were going to reveal the other side, but not until like the end of season three or something. And they had some kind of really long-range plan they decided to accelerate. Um, so I think the actors didn't quite know what to do with this material yet, except for John Noble, who I think right away just just jumped right into it and said, hmm. "I'm going to play. I'm going to play this guy, even though he's troubled." Even though he has this dark background, I'm going to play him as kind of lovably kooky, um, and that was a brilliant decision because that you know I think that basically set the tone for the series that you could have these these horrible choices people have made and these horrible pasts they've had to grapple with, and yet you still enjoyed spending time with them week to week. Yeah, I I feel like out of the the main trio, uh, Joshua Jackson's pretty clearly the least distinctive, uh, but I but I I think also. I mean, I've never been a huge Joshua Jackson fan. I'm not <laughs> sure if that exists. I guess what, Mighty Ducks? Come on. Um, but I, I feel like Peter's such an excellent, I mean, over time in terms of his evolution is such an interesting character and has such uh, a crucial place on the series, like you mentioned, that I I, I kind of hate to say it, but I feel like virtually any actor would have done a good job with it. Any, any you know, decent actor. Uh, whereas some, someone like John Noble, I think really does something truly distinctive with uh, with with Walter and Walternet and every permutation of Walter that he plays uh, I I feel like his work is is uniformly impressive in a way that and and demanding in a way that Peter generally isn't it's definitely the more showy role the the one that gets the most to to to, to work with i think he's the character that gets most to work with uh, protect, particularly with all the various cuz of course there's olivia and there's faux olivia and then there's olivia who thinks she's faux olivia and there's faux olivia pretending to be olivia and bellavia and bellavia yes <laughs> my favorite uh but but with with walter there's also that element of of time of the flashbacks and the flashbacks from both perspectives. So I think he got, you know, a bit more meat to play with. Um, one of the, before I wanted to go to favorite episodes or favorite arcs, but one of the things I feel like I should mention, we've been heaping praise. I, I got to give a little bit of, of, uh, 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 I guess, anti-praise out. I, I think one of the biggest mistakes they made in this entire series was casting Leonard Nimoy as belly. As much as I enjoy Leonard Nimoy, uh, I think he's great. The fact that he, you know, basically retired from acting and then they had to work around that, I think, gave us some of the most contrived and strange episodes. And uh, then I don't know why they decided to bring him back at the end of season four for those two episodes. It didn't make any sense. But I, I think, um, you know, just this, I think that's the reason we got those soul magnets 
um, as fun as it was to, you know, watch Bolivia, Bolivia. Um, but, uh, but I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I just, I felt like they were too chained to this notion of William Bell that when they didn't have Nimoy to work with, it gave us some of our most awkward moments. I think this is a problem with, uh, people making TV in this age, which is that they are much more attuned to what, what fans are saying than they might have been in the past. And so mm-hmm. I think you kind of saw that with Fringe, uh, that they were sort of reacting to what they knew the fans wanted. Uh, and in this case, you know, the fans wanted to find out more about Bell, and they wanted to see Leonard Nimoy again, so they found a way to give him a story. And and to be fair, I mean, there were some unresolved elements to the the Walter William you know storyline that had to that I don't know if they had I don't know if they had to be resolved but they they were there and 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 the last two episodes of season 4 did try to kind of bring that to some sort of a conclusion so but but no I think that's the main thing is that they just sort of they wanted to give the fans what they wanted which is more William Bell I think that's the same reason why we have that trip to the other side uh, in in the uh, um, in the penultimate episode of, of mm-hmm. this season, which they don't, they don't really need, they didn't really need to do it. There was absolutely no reason for them, for her to go over there, really. I mean, in, in the larger scheme of things, besides just giving us one last chance to to see Seth Gable, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I was happy with. I mean, fine, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan. I like seeing Seth Gable. So, um, but no, but I, I mean, I would agree, I would agree with that. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of times they 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 decide to give give people something that they they want, and then try and come up with the most imaginative way to do it. And so I did appreciate that. They found a way to work around Leonard Nimoy and William Bell in a way that was unusual and certainly unforgettable. I mean, you're not, you're not going to see too many other shows that are going to have their female star pretending to be Leonard Nimoy for like three episodes <laughs> or, 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 make, or, or making them a cartoon for an episode just, just to keep them around. Yeah. Uh, and, and well, now, also, they had to go to the other side because the observers had Michael and they had Michael because he stepped off of the train. For because no I'm actually I'm not sure why. No. Well, no, well, there, there is there is a reason, but that, but I mean, there's not there's there's a reason, but not a reason. I mean, the main reason is so that so that Olivia would eventually have the power, um, and be able to you know to to kill uh um you know, Captain Winmark. Um, so it's basically sort of a long. It's kind of like you know like like the plateau. He's like seeing things 14 steps ahead. So he right. steps off the train to force this, to force that, to force this. So that, that that's the main, that's the main idea. It's not really explained very well in the episode, but that seemed to be the idea. Uh, but as far as William Bell goes, for me, the contributions of Leonard Nimoy peaked in, I think, the very last episode of season two with the uh, you got old conversation with uh, with John Noble. That After that, I could have gone for no more Leonard Nimoy, frankly. Now, uh, unless either of you have uh, an irksome element of the show you would like to discuss, shall we go on to favorite episodes? Sure. So which ones stand out for you guys? If you had, I, I know maybe episode names won't necessarily come to people but what what would be in your top five what's in your all-time best fringe i actually made a list you know for the av club right before season five started so um i kind of you know from, from the first four seasons anyway i've already got uh, kind of a list ready to go peter i think is is a you know one of the main standard episodes that's the one that flashes back to how walter uh stole peter from the other universe i think it's you know both mythologically important but it's also a really well-made episode and very poignant uh everyone loves white tulip um, I'll name one more that's kind of off the beaten path a little bit, which is uh, uh, the plateau, which I mentioned before, um, with the with the guy who can see 14 steps ahead and, and, ah, and yes. maneuvers things. That's also a Brad Anderson directed episode, and it's just visually dynamic. And it's one of the season three episodes that takes place on you know in Earth two, which I always enjoyed. I think more uh, in season three because there because the fringe division over there, despite all the troubles they were having on Earth two, was much more fun and more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so those are three. I've got more, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave, yeah, I'll leave others to mention some more. 
those are those are all great. Uh, I I love their ninth slash nineteenth episode crazy episodes uh, that they did. Yeah, like uh, Brown Betty, well, which was actually the twentieth episode, but whatever. Um, yeah, and the obviously the the LSD episode. Um, White Tulip, obviously, I I think it's pretty clearly my favorite, and I I kind of feel like a sucker that they referenced it again in the in the last episode because I felt less special. Um, let's see what else. Uh, I'm I'm glad you mentioned Peter because everything about that episode is fantastic. I especially love. I'm I'm a sucker for the alternate credit sequence and theme song <laughs> and font, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I, the the whole like I mentioned the the two part finale of season two I think is is the show and it's most fun so I have a real soft spot for it. Um, and also obviously the I, I mean, and those who left behind to me is kind of white tulip too. Um, but you know, for that, it automatically gets points. <laughs> I would go with, uh, Peter of course is great, but I would actually go with, uh, J- uh Jacksonville, mm-hmm. which is the episode right before it. I think, and especially upon rewatching it, I think that trip into Olivia's mind we get where she sees her young self and, and we, we are forced to confront what Walter did and who he did it to. I think that really marks a, a strong shift in the series, which is then, of course, immediately followed up by Peter, which takes us back, you know, to, to, and really sets up where the series is going to go from there with the cracking of the universes and all of that, which, of course, had been previewed before. But I think the one-two punch of Jacksonville really taking away fun Walter from us for at least a moment. And then Peter, I think that really served to kick things up into the best of what fringe would be, which was that, that stretch of season uh, two and then season three, I would say uh, everybody likes white tulip. I think white tulip is good. I don't love it as much as everybody else does. I will e- easily take in those we've left behind over white tulip, but I know that's blasphemy to much of the fringe, uh, <laughs> you know, population Brown Betty. I think if not my favorite is my number two, I love that episode. It's so stylish. I would love to see Anna Torv show up on the hour or Mad Men, I think she just, you know, is born to be a, a, a 50s dame. <laughs> uh, I think it's wonderful. And um, and then I guess I, I would go with the season two finale as well. I also really like the, um, just that whole arc we get with Olivia, Folivia, switching places, dealing with all the incredibly sticky, troublesome emotions. I think that's all really great. And then, of course, honorable mention to the Monty Python sequence, because come on. Yeah. I'm going to name one more. I, I, during the course of this conversation, I mentioned two that, that I also really like, which is One Night, one night in October and um, uh, Worlds Apart. But one that I haven't mentioned so far uh, that I think is a, a, one of, a, one of the, a perfect little uh, standalone episode is Marionette, mm-hmm. um, which I like a lot because one of my favorite aspects of Fringe is the fact that their villains are frequently not bad guys. They're just sort of misguided people who have some, 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 some noble intention that gets, that gets kind of messed up. Um, and Marionette also has the sort of, uh, you know, Peter and Olivia gradually coming back into some sort of accord after being, you know, um, uh, being at odds for, for, for several episodes. But, but mainly it's, it's the villain. It's one of the scariest, I think, fringe episodes, one of the darkest ones. And, and the villain trying to create his, his true love out of pieces of other women, um, is kind of a very fringy idea. And I, and I, <laughs> that I, I always enjoyed it when they, when they explored these, these villains and their mo- and their motives. Are there any other one-off villains that come to mind for you guys? I always think of John Piper Ferguson. In uh, was that, I think that was season four. Yeah, that, that that's um one, one night in October. Oh, one night in October. Oh yeah. yes, yeah, he is he is great. And now I miss Alphas again. 
Um, <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> yeah, and I and, and looking looking, I sort of went back and read up on on episodes I'd seen before, and uh, but the, the, but didn't rewatch. And I was like, oh yeah, Brad Dourif was here for an episode. That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed Jared Harris before we had the strangeness and see what happened in the, the end of his arc with bell coming in wasn't a fan of that but everything before that all of, i think he was really a, a strong element of season one Any yeah other? it's, it's you, you can't really get a slimier more awesome villain than jared harris right. well any final thoughts on fringe what, what you said earlier about we're not likely to get another show like this in a long time i completely agree even at fox who are who are super patient about this i can't imagine them wanting to go through that again anytime soon uh, with with or without uh, the backing people like J.J. Abrams, uh, it's just Joe got a hundred episodes and obscene in mostly a good way. And do, do I think that they necessarily spent those hundred episodes in the best way possible all the time? No, not really. But the fact that there was a show whose whose ideas and and plotting were so restless and out there and went on went on so many went in so many bold and sometimes dumbed. <laughs> directions uh so boldly um is is pretty cool and i i it's it's unfortunate that i don't think we're gonna see um one of the big four take uh this big a chance with especially with with uh, genre storytelling again in, in quite a while yeah i think it's possible that maybe a, a sci-fi you know could 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 pick up a show or, or start up a show like this and nurture it i think obviously you, you guys mentioned Alphas earlier. I think if Alphas had stuck around, it had a chance to be that kind of a show if it, if it had been given the, the time and the space to develop an actual, you know, overarching uh, mythology to go along with the, with, the, with, the, with the great acting and the cool characters. But um, um, but no, I, I mean, I, I think in terms of a network show that has a budget uh, and is able to – and resources and all those kind of things and can use it in such – in you know, kind of squander it in a way, in, in such strange and unusual ways um, – you know, it was it was it's kind of a wonder. Absolutely. Uh, my, the final things for me will be the. I wanted to mention the soundtrack. This is a really reliable show for when we were always looking for what should our music clip in the middle of the podcast be. There was probably a great song on Fringe. Yeah. <laughs> so, so thank you to the music supervisors over at Fringe for having fabulous taste. And uh, I will I will miss the show's creativity. Um, and I think I think it had a really high average episode. Obviously, we've been quibbling somewhat about the the direction and the the thematic structure of season five um and and certain elements of maybe season one but i i think that on in average you you pull you pull in a random episode turn on was it's on science channel now right there are all the reruns it's probably going to be a really well produced directed uh acted and uh and, and very visually interesting episode and if you want to look at the the uh, under you know the themes underneath it that are going on if you want to start analyzing the meaning of identity and self and what is a soul you can do that in most of these episodes but if you don't it's really satisfying genre television it's like i've heard this show described as the x-files but better and i'll leave that conversation to to people who have seen more x-files than i have but i think it does fit really well with the x-files as far as a, a very well done uh, serialized when it does serialized and standalone when it does standalone and so hopefully more people will find fringe now that it's over on dvd and uh it's it's reputation will only increase over time i agree 
So thank you, Noel, so much for coming on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, I am writing uh, regularly at the avclub.com, and uh, you can find anything written by me and click my name and see other stuff written by me. Start with the, start with their fringe reviews. Go from there. I'm also on Twitter as Noel Mew, N-O-E-L-M-U. Thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.